friends. Welcome to the Connected Families podcast. I'm your host, Stacey Bellward. Our purpose in this podcast is to guide you to receive God's grace and truth, and then to equip you to pass that grace and truth on to your children. I'm so glad that you're here today. This podcast is for you, all of you parents who are just tired, and I mean tired to the bone. All the seasons of parenting have different challenges, but some are more taxing than others. And hope seems to be a scarce commodity these days. Even Google searches about parenting and children with words like doomed in them are high on the list. Well, compassion fatigue is the topic of today's podcast, and we're going to describe what compassion fatigue in parents looks like. And in connected family style, we're going to offer tools and a biblical perspective that you can use today. Joining me today is Lynn Jackson, the co-founder of Connected Families. Hi, Lynn. Welcome. Hey, so good to be here. I'm excited for today. <laughs> I know you are because you have special guests on and we'll tell everybody about that, but let me introduce them. David and Colleen Little live in Prior Lake, Minnesota. They're qualified practitioners, trainers of the trust-based relational intervention model taught by the Karen Purvis Institute of Childhood Development at Texas Christian University. David and Colleen are also registered trainers of the Circle of Security Parenting Intervention. Colleen has a master's degree in speech therapy, and David has a master's degree in early childhood and infant mental health. Their ministry, Imago Hearts, focuses on helping parents who are raising children with histories of abandonment, abuse, and neglect. In addition to training and coaching parents in Minnesota, they have partnerships with NGOs in Ukraine, Russia, Belarus, Moldova, and Poland. Lynn, we are excited to have these guys with us today. And it's not because of everything they're doing and all the people that they're serving. That's one reason, but what's the other reason? Well, the other reason is they are dear friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she can't say that without tears in her eyes and voice, because I know your dear friends for a very long time. Yes. Like over 40 years <laughs> longer than I've known my hubby oh, <laughs> and really? I've known our hearts for the Lord and for helping parents. It's just exciting to have them on today. Yeah. So welcome David and Colleen. We're so glad you're here. Thanks for having us. Look forward to it. Well, today's topic is about compassion fatigue. And I know our listeners have already heard the words trauma or abuse, and not all families have worked through this or walked through this or experienced it. So maybe I'll ask you this question, Lynn, like why is this topic related to everybody listening? Well, generally people don't come to our website if parenting has just been a a walk through the park for them. particularly in today's culture, that just rarely happens. So every parent experiences that just that I'm exhausted. I don't, I, I can't step into my child's shoes one more time today. I'm just done right now. Those are really vulnerable, even precious before the Lord times to work through in a way that brings us to greater health, but also our kids. And so we want to address this in a way that blesses all parents that are listening. Yeah. Oh, I think that most parents can relate to that. Like I'm just at the end. I am just done today. I don't know, Colleen or David, did you ever feel that way? 
so many days. Yeah. <laughs> Some days it was just a chore to get out of bed and yeah. face the day. Yeah, absolutely. Why don't we start off by, why don't you tell us just a little bit about who you are, what your family is and how you experience these things in your daily lives as you were raising your kids? Well, we've been married for 30 Nine. Nine years. And so we've been through a lot of situations, both with our biological children and with our adopted children. There's, you know, there's frustrations in parenting. Parenting is is not for the weak-willed. And even even it's a, a challenge for those of those folks who think that they've got, you know, the parenting paradigm down. Kids are challenging. And we have worked primarily in the last 15 years with adoptive parents and foster parents. And so there are many situations where being a good parent and even being a super parent, you know, is, isn't adequate enough. You just feel overwhelmed, under-resourced, and unsure, you know, exactly how to move forward. And so that, that kind of brings up the whole topic of hope. And, you know, Colleen and I have, have had a lot of experiences in our lives. We were missionaries with the Navigators for 30, more than 30 years. We lived for a decade in a very challenging country with our young children, a situation that would have been challenging for anyone, any parents. And somehow we figured it out and felt like we were thriving, doing pretty well in our parenting role, even in the midst of that difficult, challenging culture and situation. But when we adopted our children, just entered into a whole new level of challenges and difficult situations where we were just grasping. And looking back on those early months and years, you know, I think we described our feelings at the time is somewhat like being hit by, by a tsunami and you kind of spend the day recovering and looking for air, looking for a way to out, looking for answers on how to be a good parent, but also respect your own self and then go to bed and get up the next morning and get hit by another tsunami. And, and it was like that, like every day. And we would talk to parents and, and folks and they'd tell us their stories and and usually it was a tragic story about a difficult situation with a child and, and they were trying to empathize and that was all great. But like it happened once, you know, or twice <laughs> in their parenting over a period of 15 or 20 years. And we were dealing with stuff that happened, you know, every single day and sometimes two or three times a day. The intensity and the volume of these challenging parenting situations was what really sunk us, you know, yeah. for lack of a better word. Yeah, I remember those days and Colleen just kept, we were about the same size, but she just kept losing weight and losing mm -hmm. weight and looking more and more exhausted and on the edge. And we'd have you guys over for dinner just to make sure you got food in you sometimes. <laughs> really, really tough. Colleen, how did you experience compassion fatigue during those years? Well, it was such an intense time, but the the immediate thing was feeling shame and overwhelmed and fatigued. I felt like there was nothing that I could do as a mother that was right. And you know, the reality is that that when children come into your home who've been adopted, they usually have a wound and toward the mother. And our children didn't have a father. So Dave had a lot of space to take up. But I, you know, our children had a mother who was actually still alive. And so, you know, the role of a mother is kind of a challenge in some families with adopted children, because they have been wounded, primarily by the mother. But you know, just the feeling of, of extreme exhaustion and fatigue. And I felt like I lost myself as a person. 
and didn't really know if my role as a mother even mattered. It just mm-hmm. felt it just felt too hard. It felt so I felt dehumanized often and our children gave me what they were feeling and I took me a while to figure that out but they felt that way and so they gave that to me and so that feeling is it's an awful feeling and it it isolates you it makes you just feel really alone some parents just really have a hard time seeking help because it is so depressing it's just a hard journey Yeah, I think the more extreme someone's situation is, the more people feel compelled to fix it, to offer some suggestions, to try to say, oh, yeah, 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 I felt like that. And what you're describing is really in a whole different league. If you didn't live it, it was hard to know how help people understand it. You know, compassion fatigue is a label that's used in lots of different environments. It's come up a lot in the past two years with nursing, with counselors with therapists who feel inadequate as they do Zoom calls and try to help people. And it's a good word. It's a good phrase to use. But I think in, the, in our context, the label secondary trauma is used more often with adoptive parents because the children are bringing their trauma and you're living with it. So a, a counselor or a nurse is dealing with difficult situations and they get exhausted and they get they lose their ability to be compassionate in their interactions with patients and stuff. But then they they can go home, you know, they can they can turn off the computer and quit the Zoom call or whatever. But the parents are just, you know, it's 24-7. So I think the thing that we recognize that traumatized children bring their trauma to the new family and they don't know what to do with it, except that's the norm, that's the pattern. And so they give it to whoever's around them. And I even struggle a little bit with secondary trauma. I think it's more closely related to primary trauma. And we have met more than a few adoptive mothers who are clinically labeled with PTSD Mm because they're literally in in a war to kind of win this child's heart. And the child is resisting because to feel that level of intimacy between the child and the mother means that this mother then has the power to abandon me. And so whether it's conscious or unconscious, the child is working to resist that intimate feeling of care and love. And they're pushing, they're literally pushing the mother out of their life with, with their life. Like they're, they're in a fight to resist that. And so that's kind of the dynamic, you know, they get to the point where you have, you have parents who, who have this interest, this desire to, to care deeply with someone who's wounded. And, and they do the most intensive intervention that is possible. You bring this child into your home and, and you want this child to have a better life. And, and you're, you're fighting against intergenerational trauma in many cases, and you're fighting against this abandonment wound. But you know, this, this child is so determined many times to, to not accept that. And there's a, there's a season where the, where the mother, you know, loses hope, loses their desire to, to be empathetic, to, to find the mind of the child and to, to enter into that reality and to, and, to, and to stay engaged. And so the very people that have this intense desire to help are now the people who don't want to help, lost that desire. And then, then comes, like Colleen shared, there, then comes guilt then comes shame. And it's so there's, there's layers to this compassion fatigue or secondary trauma that begin to take a person into the place where they, they have lost who they thought they were. Mm-hmm. And I want to sort of apply this to some kids with just extreme sensory issues or emotional mm-hmm. challenges, because they can really get pretty close to that place of, 
I despair of who I am. And I feel so terrible and so stressed by my experience in my body or by my sensitive temperament that just always feels like I'm a screw up that I need other people around me to feel that way. So I can feel like I'm not alone. And so for them, not being alone isn't, oh, I have this wonderful, happy parent necessarily, but it's like somebody gets me, somebody's in this with me. And I have a really good quote from a parent who had their child just ex explode in that realization. It's like, what I said was so terrible, but that's how I feel about myself. And I just want somebody else to feel that way. And so I think it, you know, you're describing just the, the, kind of the apex of that with these extreme cases, but I think these kids with lots of sensory and emotional challenges that they can do a lot of the same kind of interactions where they feel so ashamed, they can't really be vulnerable, but they don't want to feel alone. There's so much compassion that grows with understanding and, you know, even hearing your story, David and Colleen and hearing just even that application to having a a more sensitive and sensory child, it brings hope and relief because it's understandable. You know, you're, you're, you're clearing the fog for the parents who are listening, who are walking through this, you know, it doesn't have to be intense trauma or adoptive families, but we have many of those in our, in our listening audience adoption and foster. There's also many of us families who just have sensitive and intense children who are walking through it too. So I'm going to just go to a break right now. And when we come back, let's talk about how do parents sort through this? How do we take care of ourselves and our souls so that we can be there for our kids? And then of course, like just biblical perspective on this, we'll do that in just a minute. Do you have one really intense child or a couple? Almost every family in the Connected Families community has at least one child who is more sensitive and more intense than the other kids. Often what worked for your other kids doesn't seem to work for this intense child. Well, don't pull your hair out in frustration or try to force a square peg into a round hole. Some kids are different. It's a game changer when you learn some new parenting skills and can truly understand and empathize with your sensitive and intense child. Listen, you've got this and we can help. Our free online course called Seven Practical Calming Strategies for Young Kids will take you like 30 minutes and you'll learn seven activities that will help calm and organize your child's nervous system. These activities are fun and will be great in the morning if your child needs help waking up or even in the evening if your child needs help settling down for sleep. The seven practical calming strategies for young kids is a free online course. Our show notes have all the details or go straight to connectedfamilies.org. It's in the free section of the resources page. So go grab that today. back with David and Colleen Little and Lynn Jackson is here with us too. David and Colleen run an organization and ministry called Imago Hearts. The link for their website will be in our show notes and more information about them. But we're talking about compassion fatigue today. And we've heard their story of walking through some pretty intense trauma with their kids who came to them through adoption. But we know that compassion fatigue is really for all parents, 
parents walk through hard seasons and trauma shows up in lots of ways. And so we're going to move now just into a biblical perspective and then tools. How do we care for ourselves and how do we push through compassion fatigue to be the parents that, that God wants us to be really? So the question is, what are helpful strategies for parents who are experiencing maybe the loss of joy, hope, the peace of parenting? Those are some of the symptoms of compassion fatigue. Yeah. And so, I mean, how do you recognize the loss of joy, peace, and hope? Well, I mean, are you irritable more quickly? Is it difficult for you to go to sleep? Do you feel a stress? For a lot of fathers that we work with, this ugly anger beast comes out and just uh, you didn't know it was there. These are also symptomatic of, of lack of compassion fatigue and lack of the ability to see the need of the child and meet that need as a parent you know, kind of overcoming that or learning how to recognize what's going on in, inside of me. What are the roots of my loss of compassion? Where do they come from? And so that takes us into, I think the most helpful thing for Clean and I, and for many parents, has been to understand the attachment research that has been done since the 1940s and 50s and has been accumulating over the past few decades to see what kind of attachment representation my child might have, might have brought into the family with them. And, and also to look at my own attachment representation that, that I'm offering the child. And oftentimes adoptive and foster parents, um, unfortunately, have insecure attachment styles that have, that have been labeled. And, and you can do some research and find out more about that. We had a podcast actually um, a couple months ago with the Yurkoviches. Mm-hmm. And okay. we'll link to that podcast too in our show notes. So you talked about understanding the child and understanding what's going on. And the attachment research gives us a, a, a really big window to see some significant things, both with the child, but also with the parent. And so in, in our ministry and in our trainings and in our coaching, we're always looking at the relationship and the relationship has two people. It's the child and the parent, and both the child and the parent offer something to their relationship. And so when the parent finds themselves losing compassion or empathy, there's lots of reasons for that. But one of those reasons may be an insecure attachment representation that you haven't processed, you haven't made sense of, you haven't gone back and and done the hard work of humbly and honestly facing the truth of what may or may not have happened in your own childhood. And so we have a saying, you know, you can't lead your child where you've never been. And and so we want to focus on restoring joy and peace and hope in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. But we also want to work on restoring joy, hope, and peace in my relationship with myself so that in both cases, we have more capacity and a deeper level of understanding, hopefully, that insight leads to, to deeper capacities to be empathetic and compassionate and to offer mercy to the child when they're doing nothing. Right. <laughs> that, that when it's support. hard. And so we also have a saying, it's like when they're, when your child is at their worst, we need to be at our best. The question is how, you know, how do we build ourselves up to be that kind of person? And, you know, that's an individual thing, but Colleen has some really good ideas that has helped her. Well, I think, you know, in general, the whole idea of understanding attachment was such a new 
a new thing for us to look at our own backgrounds. And, you know, I know that's one of your first questions that in your framework is what's going on with me. That's and right. That's, that's been so helpful, but, but it just gives new words and new understanding to understand what did I get as I was growing up that I bring into this relationship. And, you know, there's just such new ways to describe how I understand relationships and what I expect from relationships and what I bring to that. So that was a very insightful and, and that's also a helpful piece for many parents to figure out, you know, what are you bringing into this relationship? And it was also insightful to think through my relationship with the Heavenly Father, because that's where a great source of comfort and peace and joy comes from. And if you know, if you have purely an instrumental relationship with your Heavenly Father, it's not going to carry you through those hard times. But I found such new levels of just compassion from the Father. I just remember a real traumatic situation in happening before we went to bed one night. And I just remember pulling up my covers and just hearing Jesus say, I know what you need feeling like I always have to think about the needs of the child, but there's someone who knows what my needs are too. And it matters. My needs matter. You know, just the whole idea of knowing that you need to take care of yourself is not a selfish thing. It's an absolute necessary thing for you to survive and for you to be your best at being a parent. And so that means, you know, for me, that meant I needed times where I just had a weekend or even a week to get away. I had to give myself breaks to get away and just refresh. And on a daily basis, I think for me, it means I need to do things that are good for for our children who have trauma, but they're also good for me. There are things like exercise daily. I go for a walk outside if I can. I eat well. My diet matters. I hydrate I try to get good sleep. Those are things we try to do for our children, but those are things that are also necessary for us. So we're modeling by doing that, we're modeling what is necessary for our children to live an optimal life for them to have joy and peace and health and, and good things in their life. So those are important things. Another big thing for, especially for moms, is you can't do this journey alone. If you're isolated and alone, you just, it's really hard to keep hope alive and to see much progress or to see, to just be honest about things. So you need other people who get you and who are maybe in a similar situation and you need to have friends and just people that are supporting you and praying for you and in cheering you on and encouraging you. So that's, this is not a journey to do by yourself. And I mentioned it in the very beginning of our podcast today, but we've seen a huge uptick in a search that has the word doomed in it, you know, is my child doomed? It's, it's just so evident that in this time, you know, we're recording this in 2022, that we need more hope, like it's hard to look at the world and circumstances and just all of the things that families are battling and really, really feel hope. And that's for the average family you know, and then you have families who are walking through harder things, or they have one child that's just, you know, harder, it just they just are. And so how did you clean? How did you do the mind battle every day? You know, like you talked about shame, you talked about how did you hold on to hope every day when things were so hard? It is a battle. I, I mentioned earlier, I felt like I had lost myself. One of the big pieces was was learning, you know, my attachment style and some of 
you know, what I got growing up. But I think another thing is just having like, like I journaled a lot. I just was journaling those first years, maybe five, 10 years. I just journaled all the time and I just needed people to talk to. I had, you know, Dave and I would talk regularly. Lynn and I talked a lot and I just needed people that I could talk to and and bounce things off of. And I remember Lynn, you know, she used to ask questions like, you know, who, you know, what words could you use kind of to describe yourself? And I had to come up with new narratives. And I remember Lynn, you've said this, like you struggled with, you know, just your own sense of I'm always angry or whatever. But I, you know, I struggled with just feeling so inadequate and so like, I can't do this. But one of the, one of the things that I got from you, Lynn, was to, to just, give words to myself. And one of the words I came up with, I'm a persevering mom. I am a persevering mom. And I really think that's the one thing that I have going for me that I haven't given up. I didn't give up. It was so hard sometimes. And I didn't handle things very well a lot of times, but I didn't give up. And I stayed in relationship. I tried to make relationships right. And I kept going. And I think that's the thing that has helped me the most is because what I understand now is the the person who I am, the person who can eat well, who can exercise regularly, who can read my Bible and meditate on the Word of God daily. Those are the things that my children see and need to see so that when I am in their heads, those are the things that they remember. And hopefully, I don't know what they'll do, you know, 10 or 20 years from now, but those are the things that they see me do that I want to be in their heads for them to think about in their future. So I just have to be me and I can confidently be me now and do those things because I know that I am the perfect mom for them and I am what they need, even when they don't give me much affirmation or don't, you know, when they have meltdowns and say terrible things about me, I know that. I, God has called me to be that mom for them. And I am the persevering mom. I'm not giving up. I'm not quitting. Which is just such a powerful message because the underlying angst, I think, between all of these kids, whether it's sensory trauma, extreme emotional sensitivity, or a history of trauma is, you know, will I be rejected? Mm -hmm. And so a parent that has in their mind, I am a persevering parent. I am not a perfect parent. Uh, I am, God has ordained me for these kids, but um, I am a persevering parent by his grace. That's just such a powerful message of security for these kids, but we have to believe it in our hearts before we can pass it on to them. One thing I would just wanted to toss into this conversation was just something I've learned from one of our coaches, Lydia, who has been through a lot with her kiddos, one who has had quite a bit of trauma. And that is, you know, after the question, what's going on in me, she then goes right to what do I need from the Lord right now? Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a good way to short circuit any shame that might come from, oh, I'm just being so impatient again. That's what's going on in me, you know, (laughs) or I just want to control things like usual. Um, But then just to take that right into what do I need from the Lord right now? Mm -hmm. Brings it to a place of faith instead of teeth gritting self-effort. And I kind of hear that some in what you're saying, Colleen, of just like coming to the Lord in your journals and with your heartaches and just receiving from him enough to get through the next day. You know, one of the things that you did, Colleen, that was, I think was very helpful was you, you uh, proactively grieved 
some mm-hmm. of the losses and the joys are easy to label and and to move forward with and to re, to remember those joys and to be grateful for them and to develop a spirit of gratitude is is instrumental to restoring joy. I remember a pastor once said, hope grows in the soil of gratitude. And so to practice gratitude is a, often very difficult for parents who are feeling stressed out, but it's also part of the healing strategy. So grieving is essential if you're going to persevere with a difficult, challenging child, whether it's biological or foster or adoptive. Because what you're doing if you don't grieve is that you keep your expectations at an unreasonable level for the child's needs. And parenting children is always about seeing the need of the child at that particular moment and and doing what you can to meet the need of the child. If you have unrealistic or implicit expectations that this child can do this or that in a certain way, Oftentimes, it's age-appropriate behavior that we're talking about, and we've we've read developmental books, and we understand at age three or age five or age seven what is socially developmentally correct, what cognitively, emotionally, and this child isn't there because they've had all this relational trauma to overcome that's occupied their developing mind. And so they might be half the age, they might be half the chronological age, but if you don't grieve that, then you unconsciously give that expectation to the child. And it can come across in a tone of voice with a facial expression. And children who have been developmentally delayed or who have a trauma history, they're hyper vigilant to the facial expressions of the parent and the tone of voice. Mm-hmm. You can be saying all the right words, but if it's the wrong tone of voice, the kid, yeah. the kid feels that and it and it loads their toxic shame core. And, and so, but anyway, back to the two pillars of gratitude and grieving are often practical strategies and biblical strategies that restore hope and restore peace and restore joy. That's really good. I I feel like I've heard Jim say something, help me out, Alin, something about parenting the child of my reality. Oh yeah. What's that phrase? That's it. I'm parenting the child of my reality. Right. Not some kind of expectation of anything else (laughs) rooted in child development or not. Like what is the child of my reality? It was even embracing the child of my reality. There we go. Of just delighting, like, delighting in, and that's what the child is looking for in the in your eyes and in your face and in your tone right. of voice is delight. Yeah, that's that such is- a good point, Dave. You know, I'll even get questions from coaching parents of, at this age, should my child be able to do X, Y, or Z? And it's like, well, what are they able to do right now? Then mm-hmm. the question is answered by then just a little bit more or better or more consistently or whatever than what they're doing now. That's the answer, but. To, to acknowledge that grief of I'm not ever going to have this kind of relationship with my child in the foreseeable future, or they're not ever going to be able to really function in this level of independence. But how can I just embrace this child for who they are? And it really takes us down to that foundation of grace. Can we embrace ourselves with all our failures and shortcomings and irritabilities and control instincts and all the things and just go, I'm a persevering, flawed, beloved parent, mm-hmm. the best they can with this child. And I will fight for the lighting in the child of my reality. David and Colleen, this has been a beautiful, beautiful session. I've been in tears about four times. I know that Lynn has too, which isn't really that unusual, is it for us, Lynn? <laughs> no. 
Um, oh, but this has just been really rich. And I believe to my core that we have infused life and truth and hope into many listeners, hearts and minds. And not only that tools, I like that grief and gratitude, the two parts. It's really good. So thanks so much for being with us, Lynn. Thanks for being here again with me. Oh, that was my pleasure. It was so fun to have my dear friend. (laughs) Our first official ministry partnership. Yay. You know, Clean and I have done a lot of crying too, but not today. (laughs) Well, thanks for being with us, David and Clean. Real pleasure to be with you today. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in today, friends. That truth statement, I am a persevering mother. Wow, so good. Well, I'm excited to mention again, the short online course, seven practical calming strategies for young kids. It's new to connected families and it's free. You have to go check it out. Our show notes has the details or go straight to connectedfamilies.org. It's in the free section of the resources page. Yes, I said section. There's a lot of good stuff over there that you can check out. Well, thanks everybody. And I will see you next time.